have a lot to cover today, so I want us to jump right into it. Back to the book of James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1. We have been slowly working our way through James, chapter 1. And we've come to the application portion of what James is trying to communicate with us. As I said, James is going to be a, a, a book that teaches us about faith, but it will also make us look at ourselves. Okay. And so we are this Sunday, and next Sunday, going to face the mirror. If you have not already been facing the mirror, all right. Is everyone there? James chapter 1. Let me read for you, starting at verse 16. James says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every, ma every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of God does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. <coughs> Father, we thank you again for allowing us to come and to hear your word we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us today through your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us as we are going through the book of James, that you would help us to look into the mirror of your word and help us to see ourselves the way we really are and help us not to look away. Help us to see ourselves the way you see us. I pray that you would also help us as we see ourselves for who we are and where we need to be. I pray that you would help us not to simply be hearers of the word, but help us to be doers of the word. Help us to apply uh, what we are reading and hearing in the book of James to our own lives so that we can truly be people of faith. We thank you now. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Again, we have been working our way through James chapter 1. 
In verses 2 through 11, we saw that James is teaching us how to handle trials and adversities in our lives. In verses 12 through 15, we saw that James is teaching us how to handle temptation that comes about as a result of the trials and adversities in our lives. And starting at verse 16 and going down to verse 27, I'm titling this, How to Handle Self-Deception. Last week, in uh, these verses, and we looked at verses 16 through 18, and we saw that James begins this section on a self-deception by giving a defense for the goodness of God. Uh, and that makes sense because when we're going through trials or adversities, um, all of us at some point begin to doubt whether or not God is good or whether God is for us. Right? Maybe not in the beginning, um, but like Job, right? Uh, Job started off good, but if Job had ended at the um, chapter 2, Job would have been a-okay. Okay. He would have been great. Uh, but his friends showed up, and interacting with his friends, Job jo began to question whether or not God was good and righteous in how he was treating him. And oftentimes, that's how it is with us. We start off our trials and adversities good, trusting God, we're fine. We know God is going to do it. Everything is okay. But then God doesn't answer. And a week goes by. A month goes by. Okay. God forbid a year goes by. Okay. And uh, for some of us, if a day goes by. Okay. <laughs> right. We begin to waver back and forth. And we start doubting God. And so James begins verses 16 through 18, this, this section, he begins this section with a defense on the goodness of God. He tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift, and in the context, that includes our adversity, they all come from God. And we saw last week that God is not like what he has created in reference to the sun, moon, and stars, because we get variations of, of the sunlight and warmth from the sun, but God is not like that. God's goodness comes to us consistently. There are no shadows that we can hide in that keeps us from God's goodness. James moves on, though, and as James moves on, he begins to focus on application. How do we apply the information that we have been hearing? I was thinking about a way to illustrate this, and I was like, mm, don't know if I should. Usually when I say, ah, I don't know if I should, I end up doing it. <laughs> I was thinking about Hmm. James goes on to say, so then, be slow to speak, slow to, I mean, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And I was thinking, how, what examples can I find today? And in thinking about this, 
I figured I'd just go ahead and make everybody upset. Um, because America is just angry. Amer America is angry about everything today. And it, it didn't start with the 2016 election either. Uh, we can go all the way back to, well, you probably go all the way back to 1776, but, <laughs> okay, but uh, if you think just back to the 2008 elections, okay, how, how divided the country has been since then, everyone is angry. Started with the Tea Party. We're angry about the, 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 the fiscal lack of fiscal responsibility in the country. And so we're, we're just marching. We just want you to be fiscally sound. And everyone is angry. We have a, a lot of police shootings in, in, in America. And, and everyone is angry. Not angrier to solve the problem, but angry at each other so that we don't get to solve the problem because we hate each other. And so we argue about, do black lives matter or do all lives matter? <laughs> we have groups like Antifa running around, busting windows out of everybody's window. I don't know. What are you mad about? I don't know. Just, just, just busting windows out. We hate, we hate fascism, and so we're gonna be fascist because we hate fascism. I'm like, we're just angry, and we wonder why things are not getting better. James says that we are to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, slow to anger, because anger, the wrath of man, does not produce the righteousness of God. You will never make things better by acting out in anger. That's the message that we need to, the church needs to give to society today. The problem is that the church is part of the problem. So how do we apply what we have been hearing from James? Upon finishing his defense of the goodness of God, particularly in trials, James turns his attention to giving us practical application on how to guard ourselves from self-deception during our trials. According to James, there is no greater barometer of our self-deception or spiritual maturity than our reception of and response to the word of God. I will say that again. There is no greater barometer of our self-deception or our spiritual maturity than how we receive and respond to the word of God. Again, listen to what James says focus just on these two verses, James says, so then, I'm sorry, let me start at verse 18. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth, how? By the word of truth, 
that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So since he has brought us forth by the word of truth, so then, you got to stay with me on this one. Because he has brought us forth by the word of truth, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James begins his argument by looking at the effect of God's word that God's word has on our lives. God's word is what produces our salvation. He brought us forth. And remember, we looked at this last week. This word brought forth is talking about our new birth, right? Our salvation. He brought us forth by the word of truth. This word, I'm going to take a look at a couple passages of scripture. This word of truth can be seen as scripture itself, but it can also refer to the content of our preaching and the gospel as it is proclaimed to sinners. Now, what I want us to see here, and I, and I want us to, we're going to see this because we, I want you to keep this in our minds so you don't think that um, I'm preaching my opinion, okay? James says, by the word of truth, God has brought us forth. Is James talking about the 66 books of the Bible? I would argue that James is not talking about the 66 books of the Bible. I think that James is talking about listening to people preach. You don't believe me. I want you to first turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Now, of course, the Bible is the content of our preaching, but I believe that James is in line with everything that the New Testament teaches, and the word of truth that he is referring to, of course, is the content of the, of the Bible, but it is the content of the Bible that we get when we are listening to someone preach or that we're listening to someone when they share the gospel to evangelize, okay? Romans chapter 1, is everyone there? All of us should know th um, um, these verses. This is one of our memory verses a few years ago. Starting at verse 14, listen to what, what uh, Paul says. He says, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am what? Ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Okay, so the context of what Paul is saying is about what he is saying, what he is proclaiming to the people in Rome. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, that is, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 10. This passage is another one of our memory verses. Romans chapter 10. Is everyone there? I want you to, I want you to see this on your own so you don't think I'm making up my, my application for this. Start of verse 1. 
It reads, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, the man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The you in your mouth, your heart. That is which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Okay, so listen, his whole point is that we're, we're preaching. This is the content that we're preaching. You have to believe in your heart confess with your mouth but that is the content of their preaching listen to what he says verse 11 for the scripture says whoever believes on him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between jew and greek for the same lord over all is rich to all who call upon him for whoever calls on the name of the lord shall be saved but how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all believed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by reading the Bible yourself. Is that, is that your translation? Okay, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the, the message, right? And that message, that the hearing, comes from the word of God. Last passage I want you to look at, 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter one, verse 22. Peter says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. How? Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory 
of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And lest you think that he is talking about scripture, he says, now this, this meaning what? The word, this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So, so you see that all of these passages of Scripture is talking about the word that you receive when you're listening to someone preach or proclaim the word of God. Everybody with me? Everybody with me? All right. All right. So that we so we establish the context. We understand that my application is not going to be off. As I have said. James's argument here is consistent with what the New Testament teaches. Salvation is produced by the word of God. But notice in all of these passages, each of the authors place their emphasis on the preached word. It is the word as it is preached and proclaimed that the spirit of God uses to produce new life in those who hear the message. With that in mind, James says, so then, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Okay. So what is James trying to tell us about being quick to hear? slow to speak, and slow to wrath. This is important for us to grasp. I think the answer is that listening to the word being preached takes a level of humility that is often missing when we read the word of God on our own. Listening to someone who that you can use the excuse, oh, he's a sinner too. I ain't got to listen to him. That's just his opinion. That's just his interpretation. I got my own interpretation. Listening to the word of God as it is preached requires a level of humility that is missing when we read the word of God on our own. Now, I want to use two examples of this. Both examples are going to make people unhappy, but hey, I've just accepted that's my calling. I remember uh, hearing uh, this pastor say that um, some people have uh, the ministry of comforting the afflicted, and he has the ministry of afflicting the comfortable. And I believe that God has given me the same ministry. Amen. So listen, two examples. First example, um, the first example I thought of for this um, comes from something that I have been wrestling with others for. I haven't been wrestling with it, but others have been wrestling with it. So I've been wrestling with them with it <laughs> for about uh, two to three years. And, um, and not just people inside the, ch I'm the upper room, 
right? People outside the upper room. I, for some reason, uh, people like to ask me questions um, and they get mad at me about <laughs> the answer that I give them, okay? Um, <laughs> the topic is church attendance and church membership. Church attendance and church membership. Almost all of the people that I have had a serious in-depth conversation with about this over the last uh, two to three years, um, every single one of the, the people that I've had that conversation with over the few years, they say that it is possible for them to have a good relationship with God without attending church. So as we dialogue about this, about this topic, right, inevitably, we end up talking about the interpretation of Scripture, okay? Because when, for example, I had this conversation with someone on uh, Facebook <laughs> just last week, right, um, when they say, oh, I have a good relationship with God, but I don't, I don't go to church, I don't need church, um, I, I'm spiritual, and I just consider myself a decent human being, and so... I say, well, let me ask this question. The Bible says in order to have a good relationship with God, you have to hear preaching of the word of God. You have to follow a leader. You have to give to God's work. You have spiritual gifts that is supposed to be used to help other people. You need other people to minister to you when you're in need, right? And the list goes on and on and on. It literally, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, do not forsake meeting together. So my question is, well, how is it that you have a good relationship with God without doing any of these things? And 100% of the time, this is the response that I get. Well, that's just your interpretation. I don't agree with your interpretation. Okay? Now, uh, when they say that, I always, always, always follow up with, well, what is your interpretation? They never have one. <laughs> okay? And so I always like my bad interpretation uh, better than their non-interpretation. Okay? Um, but the point is this. They believe that they can have a good relationship with God because of their own reading of the text. Now, I want everyone to listen to me carefully um, because I don't want anyone to, to think that I'm trying to discount um, personal Bible study. Okay, I have spent 10 whole years trying to get you to read the Bible on your own. Okay. Um, I don't know how successful I've been, okay? <laughs> but that's my goal. Okay? Uh, I have given you all reading plans almost every year, start reading the Bible. We have cell groups, Bible study. I try to do everything to get you to do personal Bible study on your own. You must read the Bible more than on Sunday. 
However, if all you have is personal Bible study or personal Bible reading time, you don't have all that you need. The one thing that all of those people who think they don't need church because they can read the Bible on their own is missing is that we all, including myself, fall prey to the pride of our own hearts. If all you have is your own personal Bible study, your own personal Bible reading, you will fall prey to the pride of your own heart. To use the illustration that my, um, actually my first year in uh, seminary, my, one of my professors gave us this illustration. The first day of Bible interpretation class, he says, you will either come to Scripture with a mirror or with glasses. And all of our tendencies is to come to Scripture with a mirror. We want Scripture to tell us what we know Scripture already says. It says what I want it to say. <laughs> What's your interpretation? Whatever I say it is. That is the tendency of our own hearts. That's why people can sit at home and say, I don't need church. I don't need fellowship. I don't need to use my spiritual gifts. I don't need to do any of that. And I still have a good relationship with God. Because we pick the stuff that we want, like we don't read Leviticus, we ain't reading Deuteronomy, we're going to pick all of the Bible verses that talk about faith. We're not reading the, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Oh, that was for him, that wasn't for us. personal Bible study or personal Bible reading is all that you have, our tendency will be to look at the Bible and confirm our own biases. More often than not, we will reshape both God and his word in our image. Now, before I move on, uh, some people will say, people have said that this is a self-serving argument, right? And it is hypocritical, right? Because, well, if we need to come to church and we need to hear someone preaching the word, then we need you. Okay, so that's, that's called job security. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and some people will say that it's hypocritical because who does the pastor listen to if he's always the one preaching? Again, I think that this is a true argument. Um, and anecdotally, there are people who, um, of course, they only listen to themselves. They don't listen to anyone else. But again, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we're supposed to have a plurality of elders, a plurality of people who's preaching the word so that there's not only one person telling everybody something and not hearing the word himself. I know for myself, I need to hear the word of God. When I'm out 
throughout the week, it, when I'm doing dishes or cleaning around the house while everybody's at work or at school, right? If I'm driving, I'm on YouTube listening to other people preach because I need to hear the word of God. I'm not exempt. I need you and your spiritual gifts just as much as you need me. So sometimes I, le- I listen to hear people's other people's sermon. I learn from them. Sometimes I listen to other people's sermons and I'm convicted. But every single time I listen to someone's sermon, I'm edified. Every single person in the body needs to spend time studying God's word, but we also need time hearing God's word. My second example, this one is going to get me in trouble, but (laughs) most people in the upper room usually take notes uh, during Sunday service and during Bible study and through cell groups, right? And and, and, and quite naturally, people will then go back and review their notes that they have from, uh, from Sunday and Bible study or, 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 or cell group. And, and inevitably, someone will come to me and say, well, pa- Pastor, you talked about this subject before. All right? And, and they'll go back, yeah, I remember back in 2017 or 2013, you, you, you talked about this subject before. And, and people are asking the same questions now. that they asked the last time you taught on this subject. (laughs) 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 And it is usually, it is usually centered around a controversial topic. Divorce and remarriage, church discipline, loss of members over the speaking in tongues thing, Okay. <laughs> right. Women in ministry and currently election. <laughs> did God pick the ones that he wanted to be saved or did you pick God yourself? Well, what does the Bible say? I don't know what the Bible says. I mean, it says he chose us before the foundation of the world. But what does chose mean? <laughs> and so we 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 we, we wrestle with these things for for ten years. I've been saying the same thing, and and for ten years we come back like I'm just confused. What? I don't get it. What does the Bible say? I remember having a conversation with someone on three distinct occasions about a particular topic. And, and, and I mean, when we, we sat down, we went to all of the Bible verses. I mean, we spent at least one hour every single time. And after that, the person um, comes back like, I, I hear that the conversation comes up in a cell group I wasn't present. I'm like, I, I'm just confused. I don't understand what the Bible says on this topic. And I'm like, no, I'm certain that we had this conversation and then we went through all of the Bible verses. We walked away. Both of us on the same page and I don't, how are you confused? Well, after we talked, I went and talked to another pastor, and the other pastor said that, you know, the opposite. And, and so they, they gave a quote, and I'm like, but then we go over this verse. I mean, you're using the exact same words that the pastor said 
And the verse says the exact same words, but says, don't do that. Yeah, that's why I'm confused. Okay, so the Bible says don't do something. Somebody tells you you can do it, and so therefore you're confused. And what I have to tell the people that ask me that question, well, why are people asking the same questions over and over again? The answer is not that the information is difficult, but oftentimes what the Bible has to say on these topics contradicts our personal experience or our worldview. And so what we do is we wrestle with the word of God and it causes our confusion because, of course, the word of God is not going to tell me something that I don't already agree with. Let me move on. It takes a level of humility to hear something that conflicts with your personal experience or worldview and say that I am wrong instead of saying the word of God is wrong. You don't, we don't often get that in personal Bible reading because our tendency, all of our tendency, including myself, is to see in Scripture what we want to see. And the reason that we see in Scripture what we want to see is because we get to pick what we read. We don't start from Genesis and go through Revelation so that we can see everything God has said. We pick, oh, I'm going through financial trouble. Like, what does God have to say about finances? He wants you to be the head and not the tail. Woo! <laughs> we skip over Psalm 112, guide your affairs with discretion. No, God don't want that from me, uh-uh. He wants me to have my best life now. <laughs> so the best life means getting a whole bunch of credit card debt, going on all these trips, have all the fun we want, and then, God, you got to bless me. I need a raise. How am I going to do this? Oh, I need to get two, three jobs to catch up. God, you don't want me to be in this. Who you want me to be head and not the tail? Uh, okay. Well, maybe to be the head and not the tail. You got to guide your affairs with discretion. <laughs> we see in Scripture what we want to see because we only read the stuff that we want to hear. Now, what situation can exacerbate this problem of a lack of humility than trials and adversity? When you are suffering, when you are going through pain, when you are in trials, when your supervisor is getting on your nerves, when your wife is getting on your nerves, when your husband is getting on your nerves, when your kids are getting on your nerves, when your pastor is getting on your nerves, you come to church 
or you go to the word to look for comfort, but instead you hear things like, count it all joy when you go through various trials. You're like, no, no, that that wasn't it. That's not what the, why is he still in James chapter one? I don't, what, what is he? You get like somebody told him, Pastor, I'm not coming back till you skip this subject. <laughs> you come back the next week and you hear something like, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. When you're going through something, a trial, adversity, a testing, that's not what you want to hear. I'm not trying to, I'm trying to curse them, all right? <laughs> when we're going through something, this is not what we want to hear. I know this because I can see your faces while I'm preaching. And every time I say, you got to love your enemies. How many times, if, if you have an enemy, somebody's doing something to you, you need to pay for their groceries. You need to I literally, sometimes people, people are shifting their chair. They're like, <laughs> right? Scripture will tell us what we don't want to hear, and it takes a level of humility to hear God say the person, not when they stop hurting you, but the person that is bringing the trial or adversity, you need to pray for them. You need to bless them. If they are going through something, you need to take your money and help them. It takes a level of humility to listen to that and say, I'm wrong and God is right. Our tendency is to tune the message out by offering some justification like that's not realistic or he wouldn't be saying that if he were in my shoes or my situation is special or my situation is different. It is especially during the times of adversity that we need humility when listening to the word of God. And this is what James is communicating to us when he says, be swift to hear, slow to speak and slow to wrath. He is speaking of how we receive the word of God. I could have titled this, How to Act When You Don't Get Past the Sermon. (laughs) (laughs) James is urging us to receive the word of God with a spirit of humility. When he says that we are supposed to be quick to hear, he is referring to how our attentiveness. How attentive are you when you are listening to the word of God? When you are hearing the word being preached, you're supposed to be alert. You're supposed to be focused. You're supposed to be attentive. You should be sitting on the edge of your seat waiting to hear what God is going to say to you. When he says that we are supposed to be slow to speak, he is referring to us not being argumentative. Even if it's just in our heads. John MacArthur says, 
You cannot listen carefully while you are talking or even while you are thinking about what to say. Many discussions are fruitless for the simple reason that all parties are paying more attention to what they want to say than what the others are saying. In this context, therefore, it seems that slow to speak includes the idea of being careful not to be thinking about your own thoughts and ideas while someone else is trying to express God's. We cannot really hear God's word when our minds are on our own thoughts. We need to keep silent inside as well as outside. When someone is preaching and they're saying something that you don't agree with, what, what's happening in your head? Oftentimes, we start thinking about the grocery list. What are we going to do after church? Right? <laughs> right? We, we're arguing in our, in our heads. Right? I remember one time, I'm not going to say who it was, uh, at, at a church I used to attend. Um, the pastor was up preaching and he said something, and, and somebody on the choir stand literally yelled out, That ain't the truth. <laughs> <laughs> They probably was thinking, ooh, that was supposed to be inside. <laughs> right. What's going on? What's going on in your mind? Are, are you thinking about your own thoughts while someone is trying to communicate to you God's thoughts? Or are you sitting quiet? trying to hear, God, what God, what are you saying to me? How do I apply this in my own life? According to John MacArthur, slow to anger refers to an inner deep resentment that seethes and smolders often unnoticed by others. In context, it refers to anger that arises when the word contradicts our beliefs, standards, behaviors, and opinions. So the anger is the anger that you experience when you don't agree with the sermon. When something is said that disagrees with your beliefs, standard, behavior, or opinions, the irritation that you feel when someone is preaching that causes you to stop paying attention I'm sorry. Practically, this anger is the irritation that you feel when someone is preaching that causes you to stop paying attention, to look at your watch, to think about your grocery list, to sit sideways with you in your seat with your arms folded, or even to roll your eyes. We all experience that. I experience it. Sometimes I listen to some people preach, and I'm like, I don't mean it. Literally, we, Janita, we've been to some places and listen to somebody preach, and I just be like, she's like, why you close your Bible? Oh, they they not they not in there, so. <laughs> right. I shouldn't be doing that. I should be listening attentively. Right now, they. They may not be in the book, but I should be listening attentively. <laughs> okay. 
the point that James is trying to make, this is what I want us to see. I want you to look at verse 20. Looking at verse 20. James is assuming that it is each of our desire to do what pleases God. That's exactly what he means when he says in verse 20, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He's assuming that it is your desire to do what pleases God, to do what is right in God's eyes. And yet he's letting us know that our anger, right, our resentment, our disagreements over the word of God, they will not produce what is right in God's eyes. Does everyone see this? It actually does the opposite. When we are not quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, it produces the opposite. It moves us to the place where we cannot produce the righteousness of God in our own lives. <coughs> now, with all of that being said, right, I know that there are some people sitting here arguing with me in their heads. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. But James is trying to, to get us to the place of spiritual maturity. He's trying to help us to see if we go back to the, the beginning of the, the, the whole context here is how do you handle trials and adversities? When you go through things, are you able to count it all joy? Are you able to see that God is working something in your life so that you can become perfect, complete, and lacking nothing? When we respond incorrectly, the trial that was supposed to cause you to grow spiritually becomes a temptation. And because of your own desires, James says, you are drawn away and enticed and sin is conceived. When someone, again, back to verse 19, tells you something that you do not like or don't want to hear. That's a test. It's a trial. It's an adversity. Do we turn and become like American societies? If I don't agree with you, you don't have the right to speak. Do we... I don't like that. I'm not coming until he jumps to a different series. <laughs> James is, is, is testing us because oftentimes we talk about faith. Oh, yeah, I, I trust God. I have faith. What do you have faith for? I have faith for my BMW. I have faith for my house. I have faith for this. Do you have faith to listen to sermons that you don't agree with? See, James is trying to take faith from being all the way out here 
and put it where the rubber meets the road. These are all issues of faith. James goes on to say, verse 21, he says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive how? With meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. James urges us to lay aside all that will morally defile and corrupt us, and with meekness, that is with humility, he wants us to receive the word that has been rooted in our hearts as a result of our new birth, because this word is what will save our souls. Now, last week we um, looked at several passages that talked about um, God's word being written on our hearts, right? Um, and I believe that James is only using an, an allusion to those passages of Scripture when he says that the word is implanted um, um, in our hearts. But what he is trying to communicate to us is when we hear the gospel, when we hear the word being preached, when God gives us new life, along with that new life, he has implanted the seed of his word. And that is in our souls so that when we hear the word, it acts like an antenna, right, receiving radio signals so that we can, can hear and know the truth when we hear it. Now, there's two things that I want to address here in this passage, um, this verse right here, and then I'm going to stop and we'll come back on next Sunday and finish up verses uh, 22 down to 27. Um, and those two things are, one, what does James mean when he says that the word will save your soul? And number two, how does the word save your soul? Number one, what does James mean when he says that the word will save your soul? And number two, how does the word save your soul? I think that what we can say is that quite literally that it is the word that saves us. Okay. We've seen that in several passages of Scripture. Um, when you hear the gospel, when someone proclaims to you about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right, literally, um, that is what the Holy Spirit uses to save us, right? Um, but that is normally what we call justification, right? Uh, that is, we are saved, we are declared righteous the moment that we put our faith and trust in Christ. Um, but for most people, that is all they think about when they hear the word saved, right? They think about just the initial moment that you put your trust in Christ and you become a Christian. However, that is not all that the Bible says um, about salvation, right? Uh, this idea of salvation in the Bible, <coughs> um, it covers not only the moment of salvation, what we call justification, right? But it also includes how we grow spiritually. Why is that? Because you're saved, you're 100% saved the moment you put your trust in Christ. 
But you don't experience the full benefit of your salvation the moment you put your trust in Christ. You're still on this earth struggling with the world, the flesh, and the devil every single day. Every day you wake up, you got three things to fight. (laughs) At least three. The world, the flesh, and the devil. But ultimately, one day you will go to heaven and you will be completely righteous. You will no longer sin. That's also called salvation. So it has been said that we are saved, that we are being saved, and that we will be saved. And all that means is what we would term justification, right? Being saved, being declared righteous in God's sight. Then it means sanctification. We grow in that righteousness, right? Sometimes slowly. <laughs> Sometimes we fall backwards, okay? But we're growing, okay? And it also includes glorification. The day you set your foot in heaven, you will be confirmed in righteousness and you will be like God, right? You will be like Christ because James says, we will see him as he is. Okay. So there are three stages to salvation. I believe that James is referring not to justification, but that he is referring to sanctification, how we grow spiritually in our walk with God. Why do I say I believe that he's talking about sanctification? Because he starts the verse by saying, lay aside all filthiness and wickedness. Right? He's saying, put aside your sin and humbly receive God's word because the word is able to save your soul. Okay. So this salvation is not talking about, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Please save me. I'm going to heaven. Right. That's not what James is referring to. When James says that the word, is, the word does do that. Don't get me wrong. But James's point here is that the word is what causes you to grow spiritually. James is trying to help us to see that it is the word of God that helps us to remove sin from our lives. And that is what James means by the salvation of your souls. Now, the second question is, how does the word save our souls? How does scripture do its work? I want us to quickly look at just a couple of passages of scripture. I'll give you these and then I'm done. How does scripture save your soul? I think that these passages of scripture... Um, can be used both um, for our personal reading of Scripture and also for preaching. Um, To save time, you can write them down. I'll give them to you and I'll read them. I have them printed out so that I can quickly get through them. The first one, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1, 2, and 3. Moses writes, Every command which I command you today, you must be careful to observe. Some of your obedience that you may 
live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would obey his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Here's the, here's the verse that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Scripture saves our soul because it feeds our souls. It is our spiritual food. It is what we live on. Joshua chapter 1, starting at verse 1 through verse 8, it reads, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all of this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I have said to Moses, from the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. Now, I've heard some great sermons on this passage of scripture. Passage, oh, God wants you to have it to everywhere the sole of your foot touch. Just walk around it. <laughs> mm. Everything you put your foot on, God is giving to you. Ha! Woo! Then we go out, we walking around houses and walking around cars. Put your foot up on the bumper. Right. Because wherever the sole of your foot treads, that is what God is going to give you. Funny story, that's how my parents got their house they live in right now. <laughs> we uh, went to look at the house, and then my, my older sister, Brandy, she's like, ooh, this is the house God wants for us. And she jumps out the car, and she, I'm like, girl, they're going to think we crazy. She's like, <laughs> she jogging around the house. I got to go seven times. I'm like. When they marched around seven times, the wells fell down. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> you want the house to fall? <laughs> That's an example of seeing what you want to see. What we don't see is what is left in verses 5 through 8. He goes on to say, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6, be strong and of good carriage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may obey that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you all of these things so that you can obey my word. He goes on to say, 
do not turn from it from the right hand or to the left, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Meditate on my word. Obey my word. Do my word. And if you meditate in my word, if you spend time in my word, if you're obedient to my word, last sentence, for then, for then, after you've meditated in my word, spent time in my word, and have been obedient to my word, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I've been doing this all of this time. I've been trying to do all of the right things, and God is not blessing me yet. I don't know why God is taking so long. And God is probably like, I don't know why they're taking so long. <laughs> they don't come to Bible study. They don't come to church. They don't read the Bible. They got apps that are just speak to them. They'll read it to you. You ain't even got to read it yourself. They won't even do nothing. But they want my blessings. God, what's taking you so long? You. After you meditate on my word. After you are obedient to my word. Then you will be prosperous. Then you will have good success. Psalm 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight... His joy is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Because of that, he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that produces its fruit in its season. Okay. You spend time in God's word. God's word is what roots you and grounds you then you produce fruit. If you aren't producing fruit, it's because you aren't meditating in God's word. <laughs> it's not his fault. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. If somebody brings you a Brinks truck full of gold and says, trade me your Bible, you tell them, take a hike. Don't be like, oh, I can go buy another one at Lifeway. <laughs> <laughs> okay right more to be desired are god's commandments than gold yes than much fine gold sweeter also than honey 
and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them and in obeying his word, there is great reward. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 11. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You struggling with sin? You want to know how to gain power and victory over the sin in your life? You're not going to find it listening to Dr. Phil. (laughs) Or or that next self-help book. You will find it where God's spirit is working and that is in his word. Do you have past sin in your life that you are ashamed of? Things that you struggle with that no one else knows about. How can a young man cleanse his way? Not current sin. How do I deal with the past sin, the past things I've done? By taking heed to your word. Isn't that what Jesus did? Satan comes to tempt him. And what did Jesus do? He didn't rely on his own strength, his own spiritual maturity. He began to quote the word of God. It is the word of God that protects you. I hear so many people talk about spiritual warfare. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm warring with the devil. Ooh, I'm stomping on the devil's head. I'm like, They've never read the book of Jude. <laughs> y'all got y'all y'all gotta start coming to cell group. If he's like, you know, like shade. <laughs> but Jude says that the archangel Michael does not dare. He doesn't dare speak ill of the devil. I'm bonding you, Satan. Go sit down. (laughs) You don't have any spiritual authority against the devil. You can't you can't loose yourself. How you gonna bind the devil? (laughs) You don't have spiritual authority to do any of that stuff. You can't speak anything into existence. You can't bind the devil. You can't break loose. I'm loosing Satan off my family. Man, if you... <laughs> Look, Jesus ain't do none of that. He ain't go around binding the devil and all that. He quoted God's word. 
Our power is in God's word. Our safety is in God's word. Our victory over the devil is in God's word. As we humbly submit ourselves to God's word, that is where we find victory. Everything else, all that other stuff I named, that's all pride. I'm binding the devil. I'm speaking these things. I'm loosing this off my family. I'm doing this. You can't do anything. You are a sinner. You are bound yourself. You can't loose anyone. It is the word that saves our souls. Psalm 119 165, great peace have they who love your law, and nothing shall cause them to stumble. Your version may say, nothing shall offend them. Are you easily offended? You might not be reading the Bible enough. Last one, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And it is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This word, this passage of scripture is powerful. He says that God's word, it is living and active and powerful. It is so sharp that it can cut between soul and spirit and it can discern what's going on in your heart. He says, no creature is hidden from his sight. How are are no creatures hidden from God's sight? Because it's the word that exposes us. The Bible is the tool the Holy Spirit uses to change us. Too often we're running around, we need change. Oh, it's December 31st. Ooh, what am, what am I going to do? Hmm. I think I'm going to start exercising more this year. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give up these bad habits and, and start doing the right things. And then that lasts only 10 days, right? By December the 11th, he's like, I got the munchies. <laughs> i just eating everything in sight. Back to your bad habits, right? We're looking for all kinds of fads to change us, but it is the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to change us. And oftentimes we, we're fasting, we're praying, we do all kinds of stuff, and there is no change coming because we are neglecting the power source. And I'm going to say this. I know people are like, mm. Be 
quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to write. The Holy Spirit is not the power source. If you neglect the word, the Holy Spirit has nothing to use to change you. The Holy Spirit, and we can go, if y'all want to stay another hour, we can go through a whole bunch of verses to prove this. The Holy Spirit will do nothing in your life apart from God's word. Jesus said, when he comes, he will take what is mine. Look at the whole context. Talking about God's word. He will take what is mine and reveal it to you. The Holy Spirit always works through his word. Always. The Bible is the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to change us. When we neglect God's word, we are cutting ourselves off from the power of the Holy Spirit to effect change in our hearts and lives. It is the word that saves us. That's what James says. It is the word that saves your soul. So what we must do is receive humbly and meekly God's word. That's why it's a two-edged sword. It's going to cut you. If you come to God's word and you never get cut, it's because you are not reading God's word. You are reading your opinion. God's word is going to cut you. All throughout scripture, Acts, they're preaching the word. And it says that they were cut to their heart. And then they asked the question, what must I do to be saved? I know that um, this is a difficult I said from the beginning, this is going to be a difficult book to go through. I mean, this is just the beginning. <laughs> this, is just, this is just chapter one. I mean, what are we going to do when James starts talking about showing favoritism at church? What, what, what are we going to do when James starts talking about people who come to to you and say, hey, I'm hungry. You're like, I got faith. Go and be filled. But you don't give them no money. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have sister so-and-so struggling. We're going to take up an offering for sister so-and-so. Well, I, I, I'm not putting up in the offering, but t- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you. James says, you, keep, you, you can keep your prayers. That, that ain't faith. Can, can that kind of faith save me? <laughs> what what are we what are we gonna do when we start addressing the, the selfishness that's in our own hearts and at the same time thinking that we're so spiritual? James is trying to get us to bring this conversation about faith from being all up in the heavenlies. And put it right here on concrete. 
how you how you walking this out? I know you're spiritual, but how you walking it out? James is talking about faith that works. We're about to end verse chapter one and go into chapter two, and James is gonna gonna ask us th- this very question, right? You can say that you have faith without works, but I'm gonna show you my faith by my works, because faith without works, faith without action, faith without living it out, that is dead. That is useless. It cannot save you. And so James is going to end this passage of Scripture. We're going to look at these these verses, these next couple of verses. James begins to say, you are supposed to be a doer of the word, not a hearer of the word. And then he goes to give an application. How do you use your tongue when you talk to people? You have to start applying what you say you believe. Faith is not something that we do one time, we get saved, and then that's it. Faith is supposed to affect every single situation we go through, how we interact with our spouses, our children, our coworkers, everything. So James is trying to help us to not just say we believe things, but to actually float those things out. In order for him to do that, he has to, he got to cut us. Father, we thank you today for allowing us to look into your word. As we'll see next week, I pray that you will help us not to just look into the mirror of your word and be a, become a forgetful hearer and just walk away without changing anything. Lord, there's something that has been said in this series up until this point in the book of James that all of us can take and work on in our lives. Even if it's just examining how we handle trials and and adversities when we face them. Lord, I pray that you would help us because not just the upper room, but the church in general, because the number one charge against the church is that they are a bunch of hypocrites that they speak, but they don't do. And that's exactly what James is trying to deal with. Lord, we don't want to be people who are known for our great talk or talking about theology and loving God and, and doing all of these things, but we don't live those things out in our lives. I pray, God, from myself down to every single person that as we're working through this series, Lord, that you would cut every single one of us. Help us to know that sometimes in order for you to bless us tremendously, you have to hurt us deeply. You have to show us who we really are. I pray, Lord, that you would help us not to talk about faith in in, in, in great big terms, but that we would talk about faith and how we live our lives, the small applicational things, how we respond internally to sermons when we don't agree. That is something that faith must deal with. Help us, Lord, to bring parity between what we say, what we believe, And what we do, 
Help us to never be a hypocrite. Help us to live out the things that we believe so that when people see us, as Jesus said, we will, people will glorify you in heaven instead of being repelled from you because of us. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work your word in our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take the words that have been used today and that you would unite your power to them so that they will live in our hearts, that you will bring to our remembrance everything that we have heard so far in James chapter 1 throughout our week. And I pray, Lord, that as you test us on these things, we will be approved. We thank you now for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.